Welcome to the Virtual CPA Success Show, where we're 100% focused on helping service-based businesses achieve success. Are you a business owner interested in learning how to scale your business? Has your business reached over $1 million in annual revenue? Then this podcast is for you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's podcast. This is going to be a a great episode as we're going to talk all things legal. Um, I know I've been to enough agency events that whenever a, a lawyer shows up, they're always the one in the corner, like having all the audience, everybody talking to them, asking questions because everybody really wants to get the legal stuff figured out. So it is a very hot topic in, in this community. So um, first, before I introduce our guest, um, I'm joined once again by Joey. So we are getting another episode with Joey instead of Jody. Um, so sorry for the confusion on the close names, but like I said in the previous podcast, Joey's a lot taller, a lot cooler, a lot smarter everything you can imagine than than jody so welcome to the show joey thank you jamie appreciate it awesome so i introduce our, our guest uh so sharon torek is uh, uh the founder of legal and creative and she is here to us to talk all things legal so welcome to the show sharon thanks for having me looking forward to the conversation so why don't you give us a little bit of your background so our listeners kind of know um who, who we're talking to here so give us a little bit of your background and kind of um where you've how you've got to where you are today yeah, I'd be happy to. So I am really an intellectual property lawyer by training and trade who sort of eventually uh, worked my way down a path towards helping marketers and then agencies. And the way that really happened was uh, I had a lot of experience helping um, folks with brand protection issues. And I started to realize more and more as I um, helped them with the trademark consequences of all that, that really agencies were on the front line of helping marketers um, with brand development, brand selection. And so started working with agencies really as an audience um, initially in the trademark and copyright arena um, and eventually founded uh, my current firm, which is um, Toric Law. We do business as legal and creative to the agency world. And we help agencies in three ways. Um, one way is helping them develop and protect and monetize their intellectual property. The second way, um, which is probably our most frequently requested way, is helping agencies develop and negotiate strong contracts, whether that's with their clients, their contractors, other agencies, whoever it might be. And then the third way is helping agencies um, and their clients stay on the right side of any marketing regulations that might come into play when you put a campaign out into the world. So whether that's influencer marketing or whether that's data privacy compliance or any of the other um, sort of compliance issues you have to deal with when you're putting a product on the market and talking about it in your marketing and your advertising. Great. No, I think those are uh, three great topics. And I know, like I said, I've, I've been to events and um, all three of those have, have come up some more than others. Like you mentioned, I think contracts is, uh, is usually where the conversation goes. So let's, let's start there and let's see what, um, where it takes us. So, um, you know, when you're advising uh, clients or when you're talking to people in, in this space, what, what are some of those tips that um, surprise you that they need to know, or that just uh, happen very frequently when it comes to uh, writing contracts? I think the, uh, you know, our client base is independent agencies who tend to be small and mid in size. So generally they don't have in-house legal. Um, they rely on us for that function. And what I find talking with a lot of owners or leaders of these agencies is um, they don't necessarily love devoting the resources of time or treasure to being proactive about their legal affairs. 
Um, many agencies are not um, super excited about, um, you know, investing dollars proactively to sort of minimize risk um, versus throwing money basically after fires once they occur. So what's exciting to me about that is the opportunity to actually help an agency owner see um, how much easier their lives can be, how much bigger their bank accounts can be if they put a little time and attention into being proactive about um, putting these measures in place, making sure their teams are well-trained about the legal issues that matter to them and the work that they put out every day. So I would say that's the that's sort of the first thing. The second thing is um, I always get a kick out of an agency owner telling me that they don't believe in contracts and that if <laughs> a client is really unhappy and wants to go their own way, that they're totally fine with the parties separating and dividing. And one time I actually had a conversation, um, it was at Inbound. Um, Inbound used to have a pretty healthy agency track of content actually during the main conference. And so I was speaking one year and talking to a gentleman afterwards and we don't believe in contracts and you know if a party's a party is only going to comply to the extent they're honest anyway and we don't want to keep them if they're not happy and I said okay he said so um tell me a little bit about how do you describe the work you're going to do for the client oh we have a written statement of work of course and we write we write out what we're going to do and I said you probably include what your fees are going to be and when things are going to be due and you put a few terms that, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, it's a contract. I don't care what you call it. I said, you call it, call it whatever you want to call it, call it an estimate, call it a proposal, call it, I don't call it, you know, a birthday party. It doesn't matter to me if it's got the terms in it and it's signed by both parties, it is a contract. So let that document work for you as an agency. Um, enter into those transactions with your clients on your terms, or at least understand what your baselines are going to be if you're going to sign the client's version of a contract. Um, and I guess that would lead me to the third thing, which is um, it's amazing to me how much agencies underestimate their leverage when it comes to legal in so many ways. Um, getting first to the table with their own master service agreement or their own professional services contract is one, um, not investing enough time or energy into protecting their intellectual property so that they could maybe turn it into re passive revenue streams down the road. Um, it's amazing to me how little time um, they're willing to invest sometimes in doing that as well, uh, because you're just leaving money on the floor if you don't think about that strategically. So those are some of the things that surprise me still when I talk to agency owners um, about agency legal. Is there is there a mistake that you see or something that's missing from contracts that's kind of pervasive across the industry that you see commonly that is really easy to fix that we, we don't know anything about? I see a few things that, you know, recur with a lot of regularity, um, Joey. And I think it's because... Um, the first one I'll mention, I think, is um, more about the agency's interest in um, getting to deals speedily, right, and not wanting to put any friction in the way of that. And that is that um, agencies tend to be reluctant to talk about um, confidentiality and non-disclosure in the business development phase of their conversations with um, potential clients. Um, they're really reluctant to ask for a mutual non-disclosure agreement, for example, um, they think it makes them look hard to do business with or like they're not laid back or 
cool enough or easy enough to work with. Um, meanwhile, most of them are signing the non-disclosure agreement that the client has shoved across the table, <laughs> which only protects one party and not both of them. So I think that's a common um, first opportunity, if you will, to put your stake in the ground about how you value what you're going to be bringing to the table during that conversation. Because most agencies I know discuss strategy, present ideation, um, maybe even a few sample concepts or campaign ideas. Some even go so far still as to do um, spec work occasionally. Um, it's still a thing, believe it or not, even in 2023. So and those are fine to make, it's fine to make that business decision, but if you're not protecting the agency's stake in the ground in terms of ownership of those strategies that you're maybe popping into a written proposal or those concepts that you're sharing during a pitch meeting um, or that spec work that you're showing off, um, then uh, don't be um, surprised at the outcome when the prospective client either decides to execute that internally or they you end up not being the agency who wins because you're competing yeah. against somebody who offers to do it cheaper. So that's a first misstep is protecting yourself during the business development phase of the conversation. Um, and the actual contract itself, I think the major missteps that we see frequently are um, an, a reluctance to trigger the transfer of owning the rights to the work um, upon getting payment. Everybody's always quick to say the client will own the work product, usually at the end of the day, but they're not quick, uh, but the agencies are not always careful enough about saying you don't own anything until we've been paid for it. Um, so we see that that's a recurring theme um, and an error that we see in agency contracts. And I would say things we're seeing emerge now more frequently, um, requests for exclusivity in categories. Hmm. And um, you know that's sort of the double-edged sword of being a specialist agency is you end up being really effective and then very sought out either for a particular skill or in a particular agency uh, client vertical. And so they want you all to themselves or at least they don't want you working for their competitors. And so that's coming up. Um, with more and more frequency right now with agency client contracts. Um, and then the, I guess the final thing I would highlight is the fair competition covenants, which get glossed over in an agency client agreement. Talent is tight in the agency industry still, um, not quite as tight as it maybe was 18 months ago, but still tight. And um, agencies need to be thinking about protecting themselves in the client agreements um, with appropriate non-solicitation language so that, um, you know, they're not embedding somebody in with the client who the client loves so much that they end up saying, hey, come work for us, you know, yeah. um, and and you've got all our institutional knowledge and so we won't need the agency anymore. So those are some of the most frequent things we see um, um, patterns around in terms of agency client contract negotiation. I think the, the last one you mentioned there is the one that I've seen enacted the most where it's like, wow, I'm so glad we had that, right? Like, I can't tell you how many times I've had um, those conversations with a client where they're like, oh no, this uh, 
this company is trying to steal one of our employees. And well, let's, let's look at what it says in the contract. And it's like, oh, wow, if they want to take them, they're going to have to pay two years compensation to us. And it's like, that's 200 grand. Like how many people are willing to pay a 200 grand signing bonus for a, for an employer or whatever that, that language is. So I've seen that yeah. save my clients several times. Some that's kind of good. language in there. Well, and you know, every agency should be thinking about, um, I'm on the fence, honestly, about whether to put a penalty in there about it. It can be effective in some cases and other cases, um, it can, depending on the size of the client, it can just be a door opener for them to yeah, just think pay about it. Yeah. Um, if your goal is to keep the employee, um, you might go one way. If your goal is to keep the business, you might end up going another, it just depends mm-hmm. on the circumstances, but something you have to think about. And, you know, I've been representing agencies long enough to say that this isn't something we had to frequently negotiate into MSAs, you know, even five years ago. And so, um, it's definitely the world is smaller. Um, specialization is definitely um, on the rise in the agency world for good reason, I think. And so, you know, expect to get these requests at some point in your career um, from a, a client who you pursue. I think that you said something really important there is, and I think a lot of people, when they think of legal, they think it's black and white. I think it's only one way to write different parts of the contracts. And I think it's, a, it's, it's really important. That's why you have a, a legal advisor is because, you know, you want to tell them this is what we want. And this is our goal of, of the contract, help us write it appropriately. So I think that's a, a really key thing for our listeners. Cause I know a lot of times when I think legal, I'm like, oh, it's going to, I'm either writing this correctly or I'm not writing it correctly. And like, a lot of times there's different ways to do things. So I'm glad you said that because I think it's important to mention that a lot of agencies, especially if you're an agency that does a lot of business with enterprise size brands, or you do a lot of business with government agencies or any any client that has a very um, a big machine in terms of procurement or in-house legal, or they think that it's a done deal that they're going to end up signing the paper that the client um, creates around the, the deal, and you may end up signing that. And so they don't see the value in having their own really well thought through master service agreement. That is your secret benchmarking punch list for when you go into that into that negotiation. Um, first of all, if you get it to them faster than they get theirs to you, it helps them understand that you know your worth and that you know how to negotiate the points that matter to you as an agency. Second of all, um, if the deal is structured well enough or if it's small enough, even though the client is big, they might just sign your agreement. Um, <laughs> if the marketing, if your marketing counterpart has a certain amount of financial authority where they don't have to go through their internal procurement or legal processes and the agreement looks fair to them, you might be done. And, and that's a beautiful thing. And then third of all, if even if those two things are not true, it's your internal punch list for when you're negotiating about what the distance is between what their agreement says and what your baseline is um, on specific terms and conditions. So tons of good reasons why going through the exercise of having your own well thought through and updated regularly um, client services agreement is so important for every agency. It's a great point because I think it it goes back to leveling the playing field, right? I've had some some conversations with clients who said, "Well, they've just got this big legal team, and I'm I'm just me, right? Mm-hmm. What am I going to do?" And it's like, well, it's good to have someone at least on your side protecting your interests and and looking at it from that perspective. Even if you do end up signing the larger organization's thing, at least you at least you vetted it. You went through the process and went through the steps, and you know what you're getting yourself into. 
Exactly. I couldn't agree more. And you know where to push back. You know where those deadlines need to be and you know where those conversations need to be. And you're positioning yourself even as a micro agency um, as an entity that understands their worth and has certain expectations of what the transaction is going to mean for them. I mean, the client has certainly thought through what value or ROI they're expecting on their relationship with you. Uh-huh. Um, show them that you are giving it the same care and consideration on your end of the transaction. Jamie, if we could, oh, sorry. I'd like to circle back to one thing real quick that you mentioned earlier, because I'm thinking about my clients in particular with regards to intellectual property. Mm -hmm. So I can see my clients saying, you know, we're just this little shop. We don't really have intellectual property that could be considered an asset to us. I'm curious what your response to that would be. Maybe there's something we're not paying attention to that really is intellectual property that we need to be protecting. You know, we use a framework um, at the firm that we kind of, we, we've dubbed it our triangle framework um, of assessing whether you have IP as an agency. And, and from there, once you kind of put it through the quick framework, you could figure out whether there's, um, whether it makes monetary sense to sort of pursue um, developing it into something. So the, at one tip of the triangle, you've got brand, right? Which is protectable, protectable by trademark. And this is if you've assigned a proprietary name to a system of yours or a method of yours, or you've designed a training or a course, for example, um, that you deliver regularly, it's how you've branded it. So there's, there's brand, then there's content. And that's the actual stuff that you've created, whether it's a piece of software code, a mobile app, the aforesaid training course, um, a digital online opportunity. We have had agencies create um, original proprietary research on a topic and then build subscriptions um, into that. Um, so that's the content, that's the actual stuff. And it's usually protectable in one of two ways, either copyright or it's a trade secret if you're not gonna disclose it to a lot of people. And then you've got Point three of the triangle, which is your transactions, which is how do you monetize it? And that's either by a license agreement um, or through some sort of subscription model um, or transactions could mean transactions in. For example, have you used a contractor to help you create um, words, copy, imagery, software coding, any of that stuff? So transactions in, transactions out. So that's the framework you use to assess what you have. I think though underlying your question, Joey, is how do you know whether you've got something that's worth spending the time, energy going to market? You just have to understand uh, enough about what your client avatar might need or find value in and, and or look at patterns of problems that you've solved for clients in the past. Because if you've seen patterns because you've worked on a lot of the same kinds of clients or use the same tactics over and over again, you've learned a thing or two about how to automate that or about how to help clients DIY it or do it with you versus just engaging. So you can create different access points that might be more affordable for them um, versus losing the sale altogether. Um, So you got to look at patterns and you got to look at um, what the most frequent demands are that are made of your agency's expertise. And that'll give you some clues along with the the triangle framework we just went through about whether you've got something that's worth investing in the protection of and the going to market with. 
And my challenge with agencies is they they don't want to go through this exercise because they get in a pattern of thinking, well, all the IP that we create is for the clients to own. And so we're really just about work for hire and handing over what we've created. And I kind of cry fall on that because I think an agency that is a problem solver or has developed a recognized expertise in an area, they've got a lot of internal knowledge, know-how that they can productize and turn into additional revenue streams. We've seen it over and over again. And I had a glimmer of hope during the pandemic that more agencies <laughs> would focus on this because they had the time and, and bandwidth because their, their client work was slow. And some of them really did do some cool things. Um, we've had clients create virtual events um, that they sold for a per seat, per, uh, per seat uh, license fee, training modules, do-it-yourself courses that people could access on demand. Um, Original content libraries, we've had some agencies who have a high concentration of clients in a particular industry. They created um, content banks that they would license to multiple clients in non-competing territories for a fee. They had, they were creating all this content anyway. So, um, and we've had clients do their own individual proprietary research in a particular industry and sell licenses to it in addition to using it in client deliverables. So. Lots of options beyond what we typically think of as developing IP, which is let's develop software or a mobile app. Those work too, by the way, but they're not the only way. Yeah. The interesting thing on both talking through both these areas with you is when I, a lot of times when I talk to clients or when we talk about meeting with lawyers, it's always on a need basis. It's like, oh, we're, we're working with a different client. We need to look at our contract or, um, it's an acquisition or something like that. It's always like, okay, this is a time we need to talk to our contract. But a couple of things you mentioned, both on the IP side and the contract side, it would make sense to me that meeting with your lawyers should be a twice a year or just a recurring thing because things in your business change so much. So there might be stuff you're missing. Is that kind of how you operate? And is that how you'd recommend um, agencies operating with their lawyers? It is how I recommend agencies operate. It's how we operate with some of our clients. We're always happy to be here, um, you know, <clears throat> when projects arise or unanticipated things arise or opportunities arise that you hadn't you know, expected. But ideally you should have a relationship with counsel, accountants, financial people, operations people who understand your business model, who, understand, who, who know how you make money, who know about the industry or something about the trends um, in your discipline. Um, so you don't have to keep explaining it over and over to them every time, um, you know, and when we, when I, this is not my first law firm. And when I made a decision to found this firm, uh, you know, I had been partners in a couple of different business focused law firms where I sort of served agencies as a silo within and, and worked with other types of clients as well. But when I developed this, I, I, we really doubled down on understanding our client industry. And so, yes, you the, the direct answer to your question is you should be looking at your relationship with counsel, just like you look at your relationship with your other professional advisors who help you make money by either reducing risk or taking advantage of opportunities um, to generate revenue that you might not have thought of. And a lawyer who understands your business and your industry should be able to help you do both those things. And so that's, that is why I feel like not the intersection of 
the types of law that we practice and the type of client that we help um, is so important. And I think it's important for agencies too. just take some of that to heart and think about the way they help and who they help, because the more you can intersect them, I think the more powerful um, you can be. Yeah, I definitely agree. So um, you mentioned earlier, one of the events that you've spoken at, um, and it sounds like you may have a couple of new events you're going to here in the, in the near future. So you want to talk a little bit about um, where people can see you? Yeah, thank you. Um, I've got a couple of, uh, there's a couple of upcoming industry events for um, entrepreneurial agencies. One is the Build a Better Agency Conference, which is coming up in May in Chicago. Um, AMI, Agency Management Institute, runs that event. And um, it's, it is, a, the vibe there is great. You'll meet great other agency owners and the content is usually um, excellent. And I know there's going to be a lot of conversation around AI this year and its impact on agencies, in addition to a lot of other um, things that are more evergreen. Um, the PRSA, which is the Public Relations of Society of America's Counselors Academy, which is their owner group, their agency owner group, their um, spring conference is also in May in New Orleans. I'm gonna be presenting on um, independent contractor relationships um, and how to structure them and how to avoid risk there. Uh, and then we've got some of our own online Q&A event. We do a quarterly um, online live Q&A event where we do a brief learning. By brief, I mean 10 to 15 minutes. And then we open it. It's open mic for questions. Um, we just had about 200 people at the last one, which was about MSAs. Um, agency owners love talking about and asking questions about master service agreements. Um, our next one's going to be in April. And it is about all about independent contractor relationships because we're getting so many questions about um, that along with the changes uh, and how uh, the feds might look at non-comp agreements, either for contractors or for employees, um, and how to prepare for those coming changes. So those are just a few of the upcoming. Wow, sounds busy. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so that leads me to our our fun question. Okay, so one of the things we do at the end of uh -oh. every one of our podcasts is we we kind of go off topic here a little bit and try to get to know you. And so um, I'm gonna embarrass Joey a little bit here. So um, we're, we're going to keep this US, um, U.S. cities because Joey doesn't like to fly. So if I went international, oh. it would be an unfair advantage to Joey. So um, with okay. the conferences that you attend, and I know I'm, I'm pretty, I attend quite a bit as well. I'm sure there's that city that when it pops up, you're like, yes, can't wait to do a conference in that city because it's a lot of fun. So I'm going to um, talk to both of you about what what's your favorite city to, to attend for a work type event. And we'll start with you, Sharon. San Diego. Okay. I love um, Orange County. I think it's a world's different than LA in lots of ways, all good from my perspective. Um, I love the combination of a vibrant downtown. They got a baseball stadium right downtown, which I love because I'm a baseball girl. Um, and then you've got the coastline. Um, and so uh, I probably wouldn't want to live in San Diego because of the cost of living out there, but having to go there and speak at an event or go to a business conference um, is awesome. I love Chicago too. I'm a big city girl, I got to say, but San Diego is kind of a nice blend of city um, and ocean and water. And so I guess I would pick that one first. Yeah, and it's funny. I, I, we did a conference in in San Diego once, and it was it was almost like its own little private island in San Diego that had these little bungalows. And it was yeah. it's probably my favorite concert I've ever been to because it was or conference I've ever been to because they had 
basketball courts and they had bikes, they had everything you could do there. And you just got to know everybody within the conference really well. And San Diego has always been a, a favorite city for me just because being in Colorado, it's a real quick flight. It's a one-stop flight and it's less uh-huh. than two hours. It's just a real quick way to get there. So, <laughs> No matter what time of year you go, Um, (laughs) if you happen to have a gig that lines up with Comic-Con, which happened one year, (laughs) the people watching is just not to be matched. It's just really interesting. So yeah, it's, there's a lot to be said for San Diego. Love it a lot. And their conference, their convention center is very large. So they tend to attract quite a bit of conference business. Yeah. Sure. All right, Joey, your turn. Well, Sharon's not leaving me a whole lot of options because she just picked my two favorite cities, not not Albuquerque in the country from not just a thing to do perspective, but talk about great food, too. Uh-huh. Um, in both in both cities, the food scene is really good, which is is usually where where my stuff ends up. Um, I'll go a little bit off the beaten path here, Jamie, and go not too far from you. And I'll go with Denver as a, a place that I enjoy because, A, as Jamie mentioned, it's not the flying so much that I have the problem with. It's the propensity of planes to sometimes just, you know, rapidly <laughs> drop an altitude without, you know, any type of warning. And that just doesn't work really well for me. So oh, it sounds like a little post-traumatic stress there going on. <laughs> there's, we could spend another 30 minutes talking about that and not get anywhere. Um, but I do love Den- Denver is a great city for me because it's a close to the outdoors. So no matter what type of se- time of year you're going there, whether it's spring, fall, summer, or winter, you've got good stuff to do. Again, a great food scene, really vibrant downtown. And there's lots of little pockets. It's a neighborhood type mm-hmm. of town. So if you get into the right neighborhood, you can really explore and feel like you're getting to live a little bit like a local. Um, plus, it's a really easy drive from Albuquerque. So <laughs> Awesome. I'm going to have to try Albuquerque. I will contact you, Joey, for a restaurant list if I'm ever oh. coming out. Oh, I've, I've, you I've got the you'll list. You'll hook you up. <laughs> That's We're a deal. Down there. We were down there and we definitely found some great place to eat um, because of Joey. So yeah, I mean, it, you guys obviously chose some, some great cities and so it's, it's hard for me, but I'm going to, I'm going to go with, um, I would have chose San Diego. So you took that one, but the one I'm going to oh. go with is, is Nashville. And the reason is because um, I actually hadn't been to Nashville until I was an adult. And then I, I went there um, and then I've, almost every organization we work with has Nashville in their rotation, but I feel like um almost every organization that I work with has done Nashville in the last two years. So it might be a little while before I get back there again. And I was actually just there a couple of weeks ago, but to me, the, the food, the, just the um, environment, just the whole energy of the city is great. You know, I think when you um, go to Vegas, it's, it's about drinking and gambling. When you go to New Orleans, it's about drinking and jazz, but just going to Nashville, it's, it's about having just a great time and the music is unbelievable. I mean, it's as anybody who's been there knows, like you can walk into any location and, um, you feel like you're seeing the best musical performer you've ever seen in your life. And that, that to me is just so crazy that that many talented people live in such a small little, little Isn't city. That amazing? So, yeah. The yeah. concentration of talent in just one place is, and, and you wonder about how many people are not going to ever get their big break who are just so talented and we're not going to yeah. know about them. It's mm-hmm. just crazy to me how the odds work in that industry, but um, it's cra- yeah, yeah, we. So a lot of the conferences I go to down there, they do what they call like a singer and songwriters thing where they have these songwriters that write these country songs, come out and sing them. And when actually Joey and I were both there for this one for a summit event, this this guy came up and sang and like he was a good looking guy. 
had long hair, looked like he could be a professional country singer. And his voice was amazing. And it's like, he wrote all these songs for Kenny Chesney. And I'm like, how can Kenny Chesney be any better than this guy? And it's, like, you know, it's, and you kind of think about it, it's probably what he wants to do. He wants, he just wants to, he'd rather write than perform. But, uh, you mm-hmm. know, it's just, uh, yeah, I agree. It's, it's crazy that many people don't make it. So um, I appreciate you guys participating in my off the cuff question, but we'll get, we'll get back to wrapping this up. So um, I always yeah. like to end the, end the podcast with a, with a final thought. So um, Sharon, if you want to kind of give a final thought to our listeners and then also tell them how they can find you. You know, my final thought is um, legal is a profit center in your agency, or it should be. Think of it that way. Uh, And think about if you think of it that way, you will ultimately spend less on legal. Um, And yeah, I'm happy to talk to any agency folks who um, need guidance, want more information, um, or who just, you know, want to know what our next Q&A is. Um, and you can, re- you can, uh, reach us at legal and I'm very active on LinkedIn. So reach out to me there. It's T O E R E K Sharon Torek. Um, and I really appreciate you guys having the conversation with me today. It's been a really fun conversation. Yeah, it was great. And I learned a lot. Um, how about you, Joy? What's your, what's your final thoughts? I think my final thought here is that, you know, the legal side here can be an asset and it needs to be just like anything else. Like with our accounting, it's always easier to solve an accounting problem if we solve it from the forward move, you know, from, from today looking forward than trying to go back and fix what was already done. So mm-hmm. with my clients, I'm going to be urging everyone to get a little bit more prescriptive with their legal work. And it never hurts just to have someone look over it. Even if the answer is, Hey, you're, you're good. Everything looks great. Absolutely. That's, that's better than not knowing. Right. Yeah. The peace of mind is really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think just from my final thought is obviously I took a lot away from this, but when you were talking about the, the IP and all the things that qualify, it's like you were creating this giant bucket of, of things that people need to think about. And I think that to truly understand whether you have IP or not, you need an expert to talk to, or you need a, either a giant list on the internet somewhere, because it, it sounded like there was a lot of things that qualify, but you have to really understand what, what it takes to make them qualify. So that was really the, one of the big, big takeaways for me. So um, again, appreciate both of having both you guys on here. And I thought this was a great show and um, hopefully our listeners enjoyed it as well. Thank you. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Joey. It was great having the conversation. Really appreciate your time. Enjoy this podcast? Visit our website at summitcpa.net to get more tips and strategies for achieving business success. We're here to be a resource in this ever-changing industry.